The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. So before I start with the message, this brown, leather-like NLT Bible has been sitting on the Welcome Center for the past three weeks. And it's a really nice-looking Bible, and it doesn't have any names in it. And I don't know if you're familiar with the lost and found rule, but it's not going to sit back there forever. So I would encourage you, if this is your Bible, uh, please come and see me today, and I will, I will get it to you. Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter 15, verses 3 to 9. We're going to look at a number of different texts today, um, and they are all listed in your bulletin. So, so as we're going through the message, if you're kind of wondering where we're going to go next, just look in the bulletin. The texts are going to all be in there. Uh, some of them we're going to read. Some of them I'm just going to uh, paraphrase, and I would love for you to be able to follow along, and that's all in your bulletin. One of my favorite verses, which is not in the bulletin, is John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And what that verse says is that the disciples saw Jesus do a great number of things in addition to what had been written in that particular gospel and then in the rest of the gospel. So so Jesus had done a number of things that they all didn't write down. But what was written down was so that people would believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that they would be loved and love him. And this, this role of Messiah for us, it's kind of important for us to understand. It's more than just Savior. It means more than just Savior. In the book of Hebrews, for instance, we read that Jesus was our high priest, that he was our mediator. He's the go-between between us, between humanity and God. And he is a high priest that we can identify with because he has faced everything that we do as humans. And Hebrews 4.15 says this, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. I think for some of us, we have this idea and this concept of Jesus as this kind of abstract ideal. Um, his behaviors and his activities and his thoughts are so are unattainable by us because he is so different from us. And while he is God, he was also fully man. He wasn't 50% God and 50% man. Jesus was fully God and fully man. So we have, we have a lot to learn from him as, as a human being in terms of how he was obedient to all of the commandments. And this commandment that we're going to talk about today is no different. This is the fifth commandment, and it reads this. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And with this commandment, we see, we see a transition take place. The first four commandments were vertical in nature. They were about the relationship between God and mankind. And in this fifth commandment, this transition takes place. It, the commandments now become horizontal in nature. They deal with how man deals with other man. And just as the first commandment 
you should have no other gods before me, just as that was foundational to everything that would follow. This commandment of honor your father and mother is equally foundational to those that follow after it. My guess is if we were creating a foundational document, if we were creating a list of of rules of how we were to treat one another, we probably wouldn't start with honor your parents. We would probably start with you shouldn't kill anybody, right? You shouldn't, shouldn't steal. You shouldn't commit adultery. So one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, is why, why does God start with honor your father and mother? Well, author Rob Reno says this, the command to honor parents is the first moral decision we face in our lives. Our children are not facing and struggling with do not commit adultery. But our children are confronted with the moral choice of the fifth commandment, honor your parents hundreds of times each day. One of the things that we want to see in this text is that parents are the first authority that any child will encounter. And their honor for every authority after their parents is based on the way they honor mom and dad. Here's how we're going to talk about this text today. We're going to talk about what it looks like to honor our parents as young children, and we're going to see the example that Jesus set for that. And again, this is all in your bulletin. The second thing we can, we're going to look at is how do we honor our parents as adult children, which is the vast majority of us in the room. As adults, we are called to honor our parents. What does that look like? We're going to talk about what that looks like and the examples that, again, Jesus gives. Because Jesus was not just Messiah to save us and evacuate us all to heaven. Jesus was our Messiah to tell us how to live today. And everything that he did feeds into our daily lives. And then the third thing, we're going to talk about what it means to be a parent of honor what it means to be a parent who's worthy of that honor, but not just a parent, because, because for some of us in, in our lives, like, yes, we, we are parents, but our children are older. But it's not just for parents. This is really about how to be a person who is worthy of honor. So as young children, there are a number of different texts, and I'm just going to read them. The first one is Ephesians 6, uh, 1 to 2, and it simply says this, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. And then in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, Paul writes something very similar. He says, Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. So, for those of us, for those of you who are young children, what the Bible is telling us, what God's Word is telling us right here, is that you're called to obey your parents. When your parents tell you to do something, you are called to obey your parents. Children are called to demonstrate their love for Christ by obeying and honoring their parents. So as children, if, if we say, yeah, I'm a Christian, 
really the first marker of that, or the most obvious way to see that, is the way as children you honor or dishonor your parents. And yeah, I'm looking over here for a reason, because this is where a lot of our, this is where a lot of our children and students sit. So, so as, a, as a child who's still living at home, what, what this commandment is telling me and what the New Testament bears out is that I'm supposed to listen to mom and dad when they tell me to do something. I'm supposed to listen to mom and dad when they tell me not to do something. And as much as, as, much as we see that in children, I think another layer to this, and this is where we all get brought into this particular text, all of God's people are to begin their faith at home. Whether we are five years old or 85 years old, our faith, we are called to live out our faith beginning at home. Well, how did Jesus fulfill this command? How did Jesus live this out? Again, we have to remember, we don't have, we don't have examples of everything Jesus did. But what we do have is enough for us to recognize him as Messiah and to love him. So it's not without coincidence that we have one story of him as a young boy. We have one, and that's found in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 and 52. And I'm going to summarize this for you. Each year, Jesus and his parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover. And one year after this celebration, when Jesus was 12, his parents and family all headed back home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind, and it took his parents a few days to notice that he was missing. So I want you to imagine this for a moment, right? You don't notice that your child's missing for a few days. And then it's God's son, so if you're Mary and Joseph trying to, like, rationalize through that whole thing, right? We've lost Jesus. We've lost the Messiah. So they return to Jerusalem, where it says they looked for him for three days. So we're probably five days into this whole where in the world is Jesus situation. When I was, a, when I was in student ministry, we, one of the things we did was we took students every other year to Mexico. And one year we, were, we went down to the marketplace and I was... I was on the corner across from a store, and I watched all of our students go into the store. And about 15 minutes later, I saw most of the students come out of the store. And I say most because I thought they all came out. I saw most of our students come out of the store. And thinking I have had everyone, we just, we just went on our way throughout the rest of the market. About 20 minutes later, like... Everybody, we, everybody kind of went into another store, and I was just kind of doing like this head count. And I just said out loud, I said, hey, um, where's Nicole? And, and they all looked at me um, with the look you can imagine when someone asks a question like that. And then they all start looking around. Well, the last time anyone had seen her was in this store 20 minutes earlier. So... Um, I ran pretty fast back to that store, 
bringing our whole group with us, and we got back there, and she was gone. Luckily, um, she, was, uh, she was picked up by, by a couple of the other adult leaders in our, in our group. And that conversation that I had with her parents after the trip was not very fun, as I'm sure um, that you can imagine. And that for me, like when I read this, this scene of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, I have this, this little taste. And if you're a parent, at some point you probably misplaced your children, right? And if you haven't misplaced your children yet, um, you probably will, okay? It's just like, it's, a, it's, it's one of those things that happens. So, so about five days into Jesus being missing, Joseph and Mary um, show up at the temple, and they find him there, and he's, he's listening to the teachers, and he's asking questions. And the text there tells us that all who heard Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So again, I want you to try to imagine being Mary and Joseph going into this scene where you've been frantically trying to find Jesus for days. And he's there sitting in the temple. And the people that he's talking to are amazed by him. Love the text. It says his parents didn't know what to think, which makes a lot of sense. So Mary said what any parent would. Why'd you do this to us? Where have you been? Which is pretty similar to what I said to Nicole when we caught up to her. And Jesus Jesus responded this way. He said, why did you need to search? Why didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? And Mary and Jesus, or Mary and Joseph, really still didn't have any idea what was going on. So Jesus returned home to Nazareth, and the text says he was obedient to them. And Mary remembered all of these things. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, finding favor favor with both God and the people. And here's the thing that I, that I, over here as a child and other children that are in the room, here's the thing that I want you to see. This is Jesus we're talking about, and Jesus was obedient to his parents. And I know as children, there are a hundred things that your parents are wrong on, at least in your mind, right? You are convinced beyond the shadow of the doubt as a child that your parents don't know anything. And even as adult children, let's be honest, our parents don't know anything, right? (laughs) Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was sin-free. So his parents probably had him do things that he didn't want to do. His His parents probably had him do things that he disagreed with. But see, Jesus was obedient to his parents. Well, what about the vast majority of us in the room as adult children? This is where we're going to read from Matthew 15. Here's the setup. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus why, why his disciples would ignore the tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they ate. Kind of talked about these things before, these encounters that Jesus has with the Pharisees. 
Why are your disciples disobeying our traditions? And I love Jesus' response here. Verse 3, Jesus replied, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. And they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Have you ever noticed that Jesus is rarely interested in playing games with the Pharisees? They ask him a question about ceremonial hand-washing, which I think that in itself is a message. See, they never stopped to ask why they were washing their hands. What was the ceremony that was involved? They never stopped to ask what that was pointing to, and they made it about the thing itself. And here's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, my disciples, they violate the ceremony while you violate clear and direct commands. And I think this is what God might have for us as adult children Honor your parents, and if you disrespect them, you must be put to death. But you, you tell the people that they can dishonor their parents. They can disrespect their parents as long as they give money to the temple. This is what Jesus is saying here. And as I was reading this, this isn't just a violation of the fifth commandment about honoring father and mother, it's really a violation of the third commandment because what the Pharisees are doing is they are lifting up God's name in a misused way. Do you see that in the text? They're manipulating and justifying what they want to do and they're stamping God's name on it. I don't have to take care of my parents. I'm supposed to give my money to God. Well, doesn't that sound righteous? Doesn't that sound faithful? And Jesus is telling them that their religious leaders, they're more interested in their traditions and they're more interested in their preferences and their power and their place and their position than they are in actually keeping God's word. So whether we are adult children of parents or not, see, this speaks to all of us. I think it can be very easy for us to be caught up in ceremony and ignore the direct word of God. Jesus says that people who do these things, they, are, they honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from them. Their worship's a joke. And, and what they do is they teach human wisdom and human tradition as though it comes from God, which is also a violation of the third commandment. To Put words in God's mouth that he did not say is a violation of that commandment. And what we have to do is we want to be cautious in elevating our thoughts and our ideas over what God has told us. 
And for those of us who are children, even as adults, our, our duty and our responsibility to honor our parents doesn't end at age 18. This is a message for many of you, and it's a message for me. Ann and I are at this really, really strange place in our lives. We have three adult children, two of whom are married with grandchildren and grandchildren on the way. And we also have aging parents. So we've gone from being cared for, like throughout our entire lives, we've gone from being cared for by our parents to acting like we didn't need our parents' help to raising our own children and trying, retaining, trying to retain a level of influence over our adult children to becoming caregivers for our adult parents. And many of you are in this exact same spot. And if you are not in that exact same spot right now, you will be. That day is coming. And this is where, again, we turn to Jesus for two strangely specific stories about what it looks like for us to honor God, to honor our parents as adult children. The first one is in John 2, verses 1 through 12. Jesus is at a wedding feast in Cana, and they just ran out of wine. And Mary, Jesus' mother, told him about it. And Jesus says what any one of us would say, Woman, what do you want me to do about it? Kids, you probably shouldn't lead with that at home. When I read, when I read that story, I kind of engage my, my imagination. And it's kind of easy to see Mary rolling her eyes, right? She kind of rolls her eyes and says, just do whatever he tells you to do, right? That's, that's, kind, of the, that's kind of the scene. That's the story. And again, as I was reading through this, I think what happens next is just amazingly ridiculous, there are, these, there are these six huge stone jars, each capable of 20 to 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus tells the servants to fill them with water. So this is, like, we have to recognize that this is a ridiculous story. We have to rec- recognize, at least as a human, this doesn't make any sense. Fill these stone jars with water dip in them, take it to the master of ceremonies, and they do all of this. And the master of ceremonies declares it to be the best wine. I think here's one of the things that we can see in this scene, in this encounter with Jesus as an adult child, is that Jesus honored his mother by spending time with her, But he was also, and this is really important, he was also autonomous from her. Jesus honored his adult mother by spending time with her, but he was autonomous from her. 
He was still separate from her. And what's really going on in here theologically is, is Mary's trying to out Jesus as the Son of God. She wants him to perform this miracle, right? Because everyone, if you are a parent, you're proud of your children, right? You want to see your children succeed. And when your children are good at things, you want to see them be seen and noticed by other people. And what Mary is trying to do here is out Jesus, but his time hadn't yet come. So as as adults, we honor our parents when we spend time with them, but we also honor them when we are autonomous from them. And parents who have children that are adults, I need you to hear that. I need you to hear both sides of that, that your adult children, they should be spending time with you. Parents of adult children, you have to allow them autonomy from you. You have to give them that. Elsewhere in Scripture, we would see that Jesus and his brothers, or Mary and his brother, Jesus' brothers would show up where he was preaching, and he would turn them away. Who are my mother and my brothers? Is it not those? Is it not my disciples? And what Jesus is doing is he is, he is declaring his autonomy from his family. And then at the end of Jesus' life, we see him providing care for her, for her as she would age. In John nineteen twenty five to 27, Jesus is on the cross. And there are three women there at the feet of the cross. One of them is his mother. And while he's there on the cross, he again calls her woman. But he says, woman, this is your son. He's speaking of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And to John, he said, this is your mother. So to honor our parents as adult children is to spend time with them, is to be autonomous from them, but it is also to provide for their care as they age, even after we are gone. If you're a parent with children in here today, this will be kind of like we talked a little bit about this last week. I'm sure the thought has crossed your mind, gee, I hope my kids are listening to this. I've even looked And I've seen parents glance over at their children. I hope you're paying attention to what's going on here. If you have parents, whether you're a child or an adult, you're called to honor your parents. And I would never tell your children to not honor you. I would never tell your children to not obey you. But here's the thing. I spent about 20 years in student ministry, working with middle school students and high school students. And I can't tell you how many times after youth group or Sunday school or at camp or on a retreat where we would, where we would talk about these kinds of things and immediately I would have students come to me and tell me about their dishonorable parents. They would immediately talk about parents who had subscriptions to Playboy magazine, parents who were involved in alcohol and substance abuse, parents who put on a super good front on Sunday, 
made sure their whole family was at church on Sunday, came to Sunday school, did all of those really good things, and then went home, and for the rest of the week, their faith had no impact on their lives. I talk with kids whose parents openly challenged their spiritual lives. I talk with kids whose parents openly challenged their desire to go to Bible college, to be in ministry, because there's no money in it. And I think honoring your parents, so for those of us who are parents and who are, and who are kind of loving this message, right, because that's what our country needs is more people who honor and obey their elders, I think it's really easy to slip into this space where we don't where we don't recognize there are some parents that are just not worthy of that honor. But it's not just it's not just younger children that have this problem. Since working with adults, I constantly hear about parents who treat their adult children dishonorably offering advice when it hasn't been asked for, when we criticize them over their choices of job or where they live or whether or not a parent's going to stay home with their children and generally not allowing their children to be autonomous adults. And again, Ann and I have three adult children. So we we can, we can identify with this. I'm, I'm talking to me. I'm talking about people like me right now. And it is so hard to be 10 hours away from one of our adult children and 24 hours away from whether, one of our, our other adult children and to watch them make choices that we disagree with. It's so hard to to not want to pick up the phone and ask them, like, what is your problem? We live in this space. This is not hypothetical. We're not isolated from these issues. And one of the things I love about God's Word is it doesn't just deal with one party. but it deals holistically with reality. See, that's why we're talking about being parents of honor. Because when we read those texts from Ephesians where it says, children, honor your parents, and then Colossians, children, honor your parents, you know what the very next thing it says is? It talks about parents and how they interact with their children. In fact, Ephesians 6, 4, right after we hear children honor your parents, Paul says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Colossians 3, 21 says this, Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they'll become discouraged. So for those of us that when we hear children obey your parents and we elbow our kids and we hope they're listening to what's going on here, see, you have to do whatever I tell you to do. God doesn't allow us to do that as parents. He calls us all to a higher standard. 
And these things, not provoking your children to anger, not aggravating your children, that's not just for parents who have kids at home. That's for me as the parent of adult children. Because like it was easy for me to provoke my children to anger when they were younger, like it was easy for me to aggravate my children when they were younger and no one did it better than me. You can ask them and you can ask my wife. I can provoke them as adult children. And I can aggravate them as adult children. So, so how can we, as parents, become parents worth honoring? What, is that, what does that look like for us? <clears throat> A few years ago, Anne and I came up with this list of, about, of five things about how we can be spiritually present parents. And the really long version of the story is I had seen this article online that talked about um, four, uh, four ways to, uh, that you're deal- you know you're dealing with an absent boss. And I came home one day, and I talked to Anne about it, and we had this conversation. And then we created one list, which was four ways um, to deal with uh, spiritually absent parents. And I, and I was kind of going to start with that list, and I had it going. And I just think as parents, we need to be encouraged. So here's the list that Ann and I came up with. This is not the Bible, okay? So I'm not reading to you right now the Bible, but I think you'll find these things, these ideas and these concepts in Scripture. Here's here's the first one. Spiritually present parents are responsible. Whether you are the parent of, uh, of a young child or of an adult child, If you want to be a spiritually present parent, you want to be responsible. Spiritually present parents that are responsible know that the meaning and purpose of their lives is to make disciples of their children. And everything that they do is oriented around that goal. Everything does not have the same level of importance. And this is something that I need parents, especially of young children, to pay very close attention to. You are overwhelmed with all of the things that you have to do. They are not all equally prioritized. They can't be. As spiritually responsible parents, you have to make choices that sacrifice minor things for major things. Here's the second thing. Spiritually present parents are responsive. You know that what you do today matters. Like the last one, you commit to things that matter the most. What's going to matter the most? And if discipleship of my children is the most important thing, what's going to matter the most? As an adult, when I call my adult child, what's going to matter the most? Is it, they, is it that I critique them because they bought something I wouldn't have? Or do I love them? Do I find out what's going on in their lives? Parents who are responsive know this adage well. There are two great times to plant an oak tree. 20 years ago 
and today. Spiritually, par- spiritually present parents are concerned. Spiritually par- present parents are concerned. They don't sit idly by and watch things happen. I would encourage you to read 1 Kings chapter 1 sometime this week to see what David did. When there were things going on in his kingdom with his own children, David, the man after God's own heart, the one that we lift up, the writer of Psalms, the slayer of Goliath, this fantastic person in our minds, saw all of these things happening with his kids, and he didn't do anything about it. See, if we want to be a spiritually present parent who's concerned, we want to take action because we know there are things that are at stake beyond the immediate moment. Parents, whether you are the parent of a child, of a young child, or the parent of an adult child, your role of parent is always above your role as friend. Always. That doesn't mean you can't be your kids' friend. It just means your role is the parent. I have three adult children. And one of the things that they need in a culture and a society that tells them to do whatever they want is they need guidance. And one of the best things about being the parent of an adult child is when they call and ask me for advice. Because, see, then I'm free to share with them. Because the the relationship that I have set up with them is freedom. I'm not going to judge them when they call me and tell me they've done something that I wouldn't do. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to identify with them. Because not too long ago, Ann and I were just a couple of dumb kids with three children who had no idea what we were doing. And what I needed from, from parents was not judgment. I needed them to allow me to be autonomous. I needed them to be concerned, but the way that they would show that concern was love. Here's the fourth thing. Spiritually present parents are intentional. These parents know that every moment counts. Every moment counts. They take the words of Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 seriously, and they seek to be faithful in making the most out of every moment. So whether I'm a parent of a young child or the parent of an adult child, and I get that time with my kids, I want to make the most out of that. I want to make the most out of that time. This past, this past December, we were so blessed to have our three kids all home with us and their spouses and our grandchildren. And about three months before that, Ann and I had a conversation. And the conversation went like this. One of those nights that all of our kids are home together, we're going to take time and we're going to share with them why we are Christians. And we actually took it one step further. We talked about why we were still Christians. Because both of us grew up in the church, and then we left the church, and then we met Jesus And then we stayed in the church. 
And I think what our children needed to hear as kids who grew up in the church, they needed to hear from some adults. Specifically, they needed to hear from their parents why their parents were still Christians. And then the closer it got to that time, we knew what night it was going to be. And then at the beginning of the week, we told our kids that's what we were going to do. And we just shared with our kids what Jesus has done in our lives. It wasn't about our faithfulness to God. It was about God's faithfulness to us. And I think the next time we get together, we're probably going to do it again. Because, see, our kids need to hear from us why we are believers. And here's the fifth thing, and you'll probably like this one. Spiritually present parents are imperfect. Thank you, Jesus. Spiritually present parents are imperfect. As a spiritually present parent, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. And here's the thing. When you do fail, you want to count on God's mercy and God's grace and his strength instead of your own wisdom. Because when you fail, what you're going to be tempted to do is evaluate and go back and, oh, I should have done this differently. I should have done that, done that differently. And, and what do I need to do to orchestrate this perfect conversation the next time we get together? See, we don't want to rely on our own strength. We want to rely on God. And because we're imperfect, we're not going to let the imperfection that happened today stop us from being faithful tomorrow. And I think as Christians, isn't it so easy for us to do that? When we fail, we allow that failure to prevent us from being faithful the next day. When what God is calling us to do is to call upon him and to repent of our sin and then get back at it tomorrow. As a spiritually present parent, you're going to fail. You're going to be imperfect. That conversation with our kids could have gone a thousand different ways, and I'm so thankful that it was a good, positive experience. And it was good and it was positive because God is good and he's merciful and he's gracious. And I also think that it was positive because we were both sensing that months out. That was not just something like the day before we just decided we were going to do this. No, we were intentional. So parents, we have the primary responsibility of raising our kids in the faith. We, as parents, have the responsibility to introduce our children to Jesus. And the church is here to help you do that, but it's your job. Someone reminded me of this saying the other day. You cannot give of what you yourself don't have. This is why we talk so much about our own personal discipleship here at Westway Christian Church, why we put such an emphasis on our own discipleship, because as parents, we can't pass along a faith that's not real. Again, I would talk to middle school and high school students who would tell me, my parents take us to church and we go home and it's all a joke. Parents, I need you to hear this. Your kids know. I know you think they don't. 
But your kids know. Being a good moral person doesn't get any of us to heaven. Only a relationship with Jesus does that. And as parents, this is our responsibility. And as parents, our influence matters more than our authority. Whether you are the parent of a young child or the parent of an adult child, your influence matters more than your authority. But that's true for all of us. It's true for all of us who have, who have any sort of role over, power over other people. Our influence matters more than our authority. Children, here's, here's the deal. You need to honor your parents. Whether you're an elementary school student or a middle school student or a high school student or an adult, you're called to honor your parents. And parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and teachers and elders and leaders in the church and older people within the body, we're called to be worthy of that honor. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would that we would take your word seriously. That we would see that what we, what we have, what we call the Ten Commandments, is not just, not just rules for living, but it's an invitation into kingdom living. It's an invitation into a relationship with you. It's what your kingdom looks like. For, for people who want to be in that kingdom, this is the, this is the price of admission is kingdom living. I ask, God, that you would give each one of us the strength to be obedient to your word, whether it's children or parents. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.